We are in Genesis chapter 18, continuing where we left off last time, Genesis chapter 18, and we're going we're gonna to pick it up from verse 16. And so that you remember, remember the context, there were three men that all of a sudden appeared in front of Abraham. We never saw them walking up, they just appeared. Two of the men are angels, one of them is Jehovah, he's referred to as the Lord. Now, uh, um, since since uh, uh, many Jews never want to never want to suggest that that Jesus uh, uh, that God appeared in flesh, they'll say that that uh, uh, Abraham was referring to Jehovah when he was speaking to to one of these men. But certainly that that that's not the Christian the normal Christian view of this. That certainly it was a pre-incarnate Jesus come in the flesh. That, that he had come in the flesh with two, two angels that they, they had come in the flesh. And we know that they were not just spirit beings because they ate with Abraham. And Jesus had later on said to his disciples in Luke chapter 25 that spirits don't eat. So they were, really came as physical men. Spirit, the, the angels took on physical flesh. The Lord himself took on physical flesh. And now after they're done eating... They're going to get up. They finished this first mission, which was to announce to Sarah, at this time next year, you will have a son. And now we'll pick it up in verse 16 of Genesis chapter 18. Then the men rose from there and looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, since Abraham will surely become a great and a mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed? For I have chosen him, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went down toward Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Okay, so let, let's look at where they were. Remember that, that Abraham is over here. Uh, this is Hebron. It's just right around Hebron, which is the Oaks of Mamre. This is where the, they, he met those men. Those men are going to go to this region. This is where they believe Sodom and Gomorrah were. There were actually four cities that were forty cities that were part of that nation that was going to be destroyed. Just right around this 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 uh, uh, this area of the the Dead Sea area, they've not actually found Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, when God destroyed it, I mean, He really destroyed it. Uh, and uh, uh, but so. Abraham's going to walk up on a mountain. Remember, this is the lowest point on earth. This is quite high here. The mountains here are quite high. This is a very low point. So you can actually look down and you say, well, wow, that's a long distance. Well, it's not really that much. Because remember, this scale bar here is 20 miles. So this is 20 miles. So, so from Hebron down to this, it's right about 20 miles. So you can certainly see 20 miles on a clear day if you're up on a mountain and looking down, downward. And they may have well have walked sort of around here. So what, what the Lord and the other men are going to have to do, they're going to have to go either around 
or go this way, or since they're angels in the Lord, they can go this way. I mean, they do what they want. We're not exactly sure the path that they took, but this is where they're going to have to end up. So it says, it says in, in verse, uh, in verse 16, the men rose up from there and they looked towards Sodom, meaning that they set their face towards Sodom. They were on a mission now. First part of the mission was complete. Now they're on their second phase of the mission. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. So he was walking with them. So Abraham didn't just say, okay, thanks for visiting. See ya. And turn around and walk in the tent with Sarah and say, yes, we're going to have a son. No, he walked with them. So Shireen has taught me when we have visitors, not when we have like the masses of students, because then we'd, we'd be outside the house all the time. But when we have guests to the house, that, that we walk them out of the house and, and walk them to their car and we stand there as they get in their car and drive away. This is, this is, and, 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 and this is what, what uh, uh, she's taught me to do. So if there's, if there's any politeness in me, my wife has taught me that. If there's any impoliteness, this is all me. That's all on me. But so, so sh- you send them off. And in fact, for example, when I was, went to India to speak, there were two carloads of, of, of men that met me at the airport to take me to, take me to, to uh, 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 the hotel and, and then later on to my event. When they were seeing me off, my flight was right around midnight, maybe 11.45 in the evening, uh, leaving from Pune, India. Two carloads of men accompanied me to the airport. And just, just this, this, they, they just want to see you off. This is the tradition of the, of the times, and this is what he did. I mean, he's a man of great hospitality. We see how he, he had much more food than they needed prepared. He stood there while, while they ate. He was a gracious man. He, he was seeing them off. If he had not walked with them, maybe he never would have had this experience. That graciousness got something in his life. When we're gracious, it causes us to make more friends. If you do small things, what I, what I teach my students in, is, is that, um, for example, learn to write personal handwritten notes. So when, when, uh, when I meet somebody at a meeting and, 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 and I find them really impressive, I'll get their card. And then when I get back to my office, usually the first thing I'll do on, on Saturday mornings when I go into my office is I'll write four or five handwritten notes on thank you notes or just saying, great meeting you at this meeting. And, and wherever I go in the world, people will show me, they'll pull out a card and they'll say, remember you sent me this card because I sent out you know, lots and lots of them over the years. There are little things that you can do to really, to really make it so that, that uh, you, get, you get a lot of friends. And, 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 uh, in fact, sometimes I'll read a, an article in the literature and it's just great. And I'll write a, a handwritten note to somebody. I'll say, great article you had. And you say, well, why don't you just send them an email? Because emails don't stand out. But you write a handwritten note, it really stands out. So remember, when you go on a job interview, everybody you meet with that day, you get a card from them and you send them personal handwritten note that will immediately elevate you in their eyes above all the, the, the peers of yours that are, that are also interviewing. It says that the Lord said that when it says the Lord, that's Jehovah, that's this personal name of God. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? So the Lord's saying, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? We don't know if he's saying this to those other two men that are with him, or if he's just saying this quietly to himself, 
or if he's or, or if Abraham can overhear this, maybe he's speaking in some other heavenly language that Abraham doesn't understand as he's speaking to these other two men, although many people say that the language in heaven is going to be Hebrew. And, and, uh, uh, and the reason they say that is because clearly in the book of Genesis, before the dispersal, before the, the people were dispersed, uh, uh, all the names make sense. And then after the Tower of Babel, then all of a sudden you have the names, the proper names, those have no particular meaning. But prior to that, they all have meaning in Hebrew. So in any case, it says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? So is this God struggling within himself? Oh, shall I hide or shall I hide it from him? No, God is not struggling within himself. This is a characteristic of God. God is saying, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And you say, that sounds too human-like. Well, guess what? We have been made in his image. It's not that he's been made in our image. No, we have been made in his image. So this, these sort of dialogues that we have in our own mind as we're musing on things, you know, should I do this? Should I take that job off? Or should this sort of thing, this comes from God. God himself does this. He's saying, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? God, you see, he condescends and he allows us to see his humanness in himself. He allows us to see this type of fellowship with him. And he says, shall I hide from Abraham? And he gives two reasons why he doesn't want to hide this from Abraham. He says, since Abraham will surely become a great and a mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He says, look, Abraham's going to be a mighty guy. And he is going to be a mighty nation. And in him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So, the nations that he is going to establish. So remember, he is going to be over the 12 princes of all the Arabs. And then you, then you have Israel, Judah, Edom, and Edom as well. Israel, Judah, and Edom. Plus, through Ishmael, he is, he is the, the father of all the Arab nations. That's what he's talking about. And in him, all the nations, all the Gentile nations are going to be blessed as well. Because through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ, all the nations... All the doors have been opened. So through his seed, all the nations are going to be blessed. That's one reason why I, I, I want to share with this guy, because I've given this and I've given also all of this territory is ultimately going to be Abraham's. I'd like to share this with him. And then he gives a second reason. He says, for I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. He says, for I have chosen him. If you look in your little footnote, if you have a study Bible, that word chosen is known. For I have known him. It's past tense. I have known him. There is a relationship here he's already has with Abraham. Remember, it was a 23-year gap. He appeared to Abraham in that first year. He appeared to Abraham that, that uh, uh, four times. And then there was a 23-year gap where there were no appearances. And then all, all of a sudden in chapter 17, he appears to him. After 23 years, he gets the fifth appearance. But in that 23-year gap, he wasn't appearing to him, but there was a relationship here. He didn't physically, Abraham didn't physically see God or hear God that we, is referenced. But there was a relationship. He says, I've known him. I've known him. I have a relationship with him. 
I have known him so that he may command his children. This may command, if you read it in the Young's literal translation, it says, I have known him because he commandeth his children and his household after him. Not that he will command them, but that he already commands them. Remember in chapter, in, 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 uh, chapter 17, he, he had all the men in his household circumcised. All the men in his household from eight days old and upward were circumcised on that day. Well, how many men were there? We know from 23 years earlier or 24 years earlier, there were 318 fighting men, trained fighting men. So how many people were there? How many men were there total if there were 318 trained fighting men? Probably at least double that, at least double that. And now there are 23 years later. How many more men? So we're talking about thousands of men submit to getting circumcised as adults. And you don't do that for people if you don't deeply respect them. He was already instructing his children and his household, not just his, his children, but also his household, people who worked for him. He had garnered so much appreciation from them when he told those men to get circumcised. They all got circumcised on that day. He commands them, and you can't command unless you have a relationship. And people are going to go like, who are you telling me this? You know? It's because there's already a relationship. If you, you know, we, we, have, um, we have some people that help, help around the house. And um, um, so, so uh, uh, sometimes we have, have uh, these maids that will come, particularly on Mondays, to help Shireen clean up after we have a house full of students on Sundays. And... Um, uh, to get things cleaned up. And everybody who works in our home loves my wife so much. They just love her so much. I mean, me, they just say hi. But to her, they love her so much because she is good to them. She always listens to them and asks them, how's it going? And always giving them food and sending them away happy. And sometimes on their off days, they will come to our home just to be there and start working. Shreen says, you don't, no, no, I just want to be here. They just want to get out of their houses and come to our home and work. It's not unusual for them. Or if they're struggling, they come knocking on the door. They come to our home. And this is because my wife just pours out. If she can look in their eyes and she can see when they're struggling. She knows when they're struggling. And if they show up at the door, she can just see it in their eyes. She says, come in, what happened? And she starts to talk to them. There's this command of his household. He had a relationship with them. He says that he already commands his children. This is one of the reasons God's not going to hide his face from him. God's not going to do something in, in Abraham's backyard without telling Abraham. This is the rationale. He says, because I know him. I have a relationship with him. People who know God and walk with him have great insight. Not always just by revelation but just from hanging out with God. They learn a lot. They become like Him. They learn how to understand Him. They learn how to understand His ways. And they become really wise. Those who walk with wise men will be wise, the Scriptures said. Those who walk with wise men will be wise. So this is, this is what we're told about here. The types of things that, that, that await us. And uh, um, so he already knew Abraham. And then it says, it, it, so that's the rationale why he says, I got to share with this guy. I have a relationship with him. He's my friend. Verse 20, and the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great and their sin is exceedingly grave. Their sin is exceedingly grave. 
So, he talks about sin, but here he talks about an exceedingly grave sin. You say, well, all sin is the same. It's not. There is nothing in Scripture that talks about all sin being the same. There were some penalties in the Old Testament which demanded a person's life, and there were other penalties which demanded some sort of payment or some sort of sacrifice. There were different penalties for different levels of sin. And here we see that the sin is exceedingly grave. You say, well, all sin is exceedingly grave. No. Sin is bad. Some sin is really bad. Some sin is grave. And then some sin is exceedingly grave. He talks about a different level here. Jesus spoke of different levels of sin. If you look in, in, in John chapter 19, it says, Jesus said, John 19.11 says, You would have no authority over me unless it's been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. So Jesus, in fact, referred to somebody who had the greater sin than Pilate before whom he was appearing. Pilate had some measure of sin and he paid for that. He was banished to the island of Gaul where he ended up dying in poverty from going from being in great riches to dying in poverty. But the others who delivered him up them and their children and all of their family lines died in the 70 A.D. judgment. They had the greater sin. Jesus spoke of levels of greater sin. Now, all sin is enough to keep us out of heaven. Even the tiniest little sin is enough to keep us out of heaven. In that sense, all sin is the same. But there are certain grave sins. If a, if, if a, if a man has a lustful thought, you've got to ask God, forgive me, Lord. Lord, forgive me. If a man spends time in pornography... Developing that, that gets even worse. If a man goes out and commits adultery, that's even worse. And the outcome of doing that is very different than just the outcome of a a thought going through a man's mind. Very different. So Jesus says there's an exceedingly grave sin, and we'll see later on what what, what were some of the characteristics of that exceedingly grave sin. Then he says, then the Lord says, I will go down now and see if they have done, in verse 21, if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. He says, I'm going to go down there, I'm going to check it out. This is really good. This tells us that God, God himself, checks before there's penalty. He wants to make sure that the, that the testimony is correct. God himself, this gives us great hope that God himself is the one. He says, I'm going to check on this. The outcry is great, but I want to check this thing out. He says, I'm going to, come to, I'm going to go there and I want to see if, if they've done entirely according to its outcry. Because the outcry is really bad. Which tells us that sin cries out in God's hearing. You can never get away from it. Never get away from it. It says, whoever touches his neighbor's wife shall in no way go unpunished. Now that's a scary verse. I mean, if ever you want to try to commit adultery, whoever touches his neighbor's wife shall in no way go unpunished. It is tremendous to have the fear of God put in you. You will in no way go unpunished. Then it talks about the, the, the disgrace and the shame you will bear forever. And that, that there's nothing you can do to pay this thing off. And, and uh, uh, let it put the fear of God in you. Because it cries out before God. Then he says, if it's not, he says, I'm going to know it. I will know it. I will know it. 
Verse 22, Then the men turned away from there and went down toward Sodom, and Abraham was still standing there before the Lord. So you have these two men going down, and the Lord is standing there with Abraham. So the two men go on on their way. And the Lord's standing there with Abraham. This is an, an amazing picture. The Lord is standing the Lord is standing with Abraham. And so Abraham then starts having a discussion with the Lord. In verse 23, amazing discussion. Verse 23, Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place and their, on their account. And Abraham replied, Now, behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the fifty are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of forty-five? Because of the five? And he says, I will not destroy it on account of the forty-five that are there. He spoke to him again and he said, Suppose forty are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the forty. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry. And I shall speak and suppose thirty are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the twenty. Then he said, O may the Lord not be angry. I shall speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed and Abraham returned to his place. So you see this dialogue. This is the first prayer, significant prayer that we have in the Bible. It's referenced right here. There may have been little things, may the Lord do this, but this is the first real pleading prayer that you find in the Bible. And it's Abraham dialoguing with with the Lord himself. Abraham came near, it says in verse 23. So the first step is Abraham came near. The Bible says you draw near unto God and he'll draw near to you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. The first thing he did is he came near to God. Unless we make a time to set aside to spend time with God, we'll have a hard time having a good time with God. The Lord, it says, it says that He came near to God. It takes some sort of effort. You get up, you get your Bible, and you start spending time with God. You say, well, I'll, I'll pray when I'm in the car. That is great to pray when you're in the car. But you need dedicated time with the Lord. Dedicated time with the Lord. He came near to God. What if Abraham said, I'll catch you later, Lord. I'll just pray while I'm walking back. You know, no use in hanging out here. Kind of hot over here. I think I'll get back to my tent and, and you can go on your way. But you can hear me anyway. No, he, he's going and he, and, he, and he says he drew near to him. And he said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose 50 righteous are within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous that are there? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? You see, Abraham is appealing to God. Listen to this. He's teaching us how to pray. Abraham is appealing to God based upon God's character. 
He says, I know your character. You don't sweep away the righteous with the wicked. Far be it from you. How can you do that? What if you should find 50 righteous people down in Sodom? What if you should find 50 righteous? You don't sweep away the righteous with the wicked. You don't do that. That's not in your character. Now, I will tell you that there are many things that happen upon nations because of a few wicked people that are ruling and a lot of innocent people get caught up. But all of this is going to be sorted out in the end. In the end, God sorts this out. The innocent do not pay the price for those that have have walked unrighteously. Not in the end, not in the final judgment. But he says, are you going to sweep it away? He says, this is why it's important to have righteous people in a city to keep a city from being destroyed. He says, you wouldn't do this for 50. He's appealing to him on the basis of his character. He says, you don't do this type of thing. You don't do it. Because he knows Lot lives in that city. That's Lot's city. Remember what we saw before. It says, Lot set his tent outside the city. But when I told you when we read that, I said eventually he's going to end up in that city and he's going to end up a leader in that city. And we know that because he was in the gate. That's where the leaders hung out when these men approach and his home was within the city. So little by little, he got closer and closer to Sodom so that he eventually ended up in it. When you get close to sin, you'll end up in the sin. This is why you don't even bring certain things into your home. Don't even bring certain people into your home. It's good not to... Throw yourself into situations that are too tempting. And, and uh, um, so he says, he says uh, um, what if there's 50 people in it? And he says, okay, I won't destroy it on account of the 50. And then he says, instead of saying, what if there's 45 people? He says, now what if the 50 are lacking just five? So he uses a very small number here. So he splits the thing around. And he's not going to trick the Lord. The Lord says, I won't destroy it on account of 45. The Lord could do the arithmetic. And, and Abraham could do the arithmetic. So these people that think that, they, you know, they just didn't know how to count. That's how they came up with their ages. They knew arithmetic. For sure they knew arithmetic. They could count. And so, so he says, what about if there's not five, if just five are missing? He says, I won't destroy it on account of, of the 45 that are there. So then Abraham goes again. And in verse 27, he says, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. So Abraham knew himself. He knew he was but dust and ashes. He knew there wasn't anything there, but he himself was dust and ashes. We come before the Lord, not because we've earned this, not because we're some sort of great people, not because, you know, we're, you know, we're better than anybody else. We're dust and ashes. If Abraham calls himself dust and ashes, what are we? I mean, Abraham was an amazing God. 23 years, God doesn't appear and he's just hanging on fast. Living as a nomad, not owning any of that land, hanging out in a hot, blazing hot tent. He says, I'm but dust and ashes. This is how we appeal to the Lord. We go on the basis of his character and realizing that we're dust and ashes. And he keeps going down and down and down. And then in verse 30, he says, then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry. And you see the pleading prayer. When you learn how to pray, prayer is a lot of this. You know, I, I just, I will pray for the meetings. I'll pray for presentations. Lord, please work. I don't just say, Lord, I pray you bless the, uh, the, 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 the message today. Amen. And be done in my prayer time. No, I'm going to spend time before the Lord. Jesus said, don't engage in needless repetition. Needless repetition. Just saying, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. 
That's needless repetition. But when I'm imploring the Lord, Lord, work in these students' lives. Do something by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's people in there who don't know the Lord. There's people there struggling. You go on and on with the Lord. You spend time with the Lord. This is how you draw close to them. This is how you learn to pray. You spend time talking with the Lord and pleading with Him. you got to struggle in your heart. Lord, this is just tearing me up. Lord, help me in this situation. Lord, how am I going to deal with this? There's just so much happening. Lord, help me. Lord, I pray that you work and you spend time with Him. This is what pleading prayer is. This is what Abraham is doing. This is what's demonstrated to us. And he's just whittling this number down. And then finally, when he, he says in verse 32, then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, but I shall speak only this once. So he, now Abraham's saying, this is the end. I'm not going to do any more than this. I'm going to stop at 10. And, and, uh, uh, and then God says, okay, I won't destroy it on account of 10. And as soon as he finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed. So the Lord didn't just depart prematurely. When Abraham was done, he says, this is the last thing I have to say, Lord. Will you spare the city on account of 10? On, on account of the 10 being there. Then the Lord said, I will spare the city if there are 10 righteous people there. I will spare the city. Abraham was the one who said, after this, I'm done. And so after he said it, God said, okay, he's the one. Abraham decided that he was done. I guarantee you, God will never leave the prayer time before you. All right? As long as you want to stay there, he's there. Abraham said, this is the last thing I have to say to you. God said, okay. When Abraham was done, they were done. Why did he go to 10? And there's a good reason why he may have gone to 10. In, 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 uh, in, in chapter 19, you, and I'm going to start naming off some verses, and these all are in reference to chapter 19. In Lot's household, there was Lot, there was his wife, that's, and, and uh, uh, then there was also two sons, that's in verse 12 of chapter 19, two sons. He had two married daughters, that's in verse 14. He had uh, two son-in-laws, that was verse 14. And he had two single daughters, that's in verse 8. If you add all that together, that's 10. Lot's household had 10. He figured at least Lot and his household, him and his his sons and his daughter-in-laws and his son, his daughters and his, and his son-in-laws, there's going to be 10. I'll go down to 10 to spare that city. Abraham did as much as he thought he had to do. Now, a lot of times we don't get, get precise answers to prayer, but we'll get the intent of the prayer. The intent of Abraham's prayer was to protect Lot. That was always his intent. 23 years earlier, he had gone into battle against four kings in order to protect his nephew Lot. He loved that guy, even though Lot had, was kind of a shyster of a little bit in getting the land, but Lot was young at the time. We'll give him some grace in that because the New Testament says that Lot was a righteous man. It says it twice. Lot was a righteous man, and it says also Lot had a righteous soul. So twice it talks about the righteousness of Lot in the New Testament. So we can't argue with that. Lot was a righteous man, even though he had moved into a city he shouldn't have moved into. But God does end up sparing Lot. And he ends up sparing also the, the two uh, uh, daughters of his, the two unmarried daughters. But, but um, So the intent of the prayer was to save Lot, and God ended up saving Lot. But you see how this whittled down. But what I want to do is I want to, want to just start to bring closure to this. And the closing thing is this, that there is judgment for sin. 
there is judgment for sin. Sin does have, have uh, a, a judgment that comes. And so, if, if we look, for example, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read this verse in, in Revelation, chapter, Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There is a judgment to come. I urge you to get saved. I urge you to get saved. To come to know the Lord and get saved. You have opportunity, multiple opportunities. I will talk to you. If you are an unbeliever, I want to know about it. Because I want to tell you my story. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to tell you about Jesus. I urge you. There is a fire. There is a judgment that will come. There will be a judgment day. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It is a scary ending to those who do not know Jesus. So I urge you this day to come to know him. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank you so much for your word that we can learn from it the need to know you. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that these students would take advantage of knowing you and that you would know them in return. Abraham knew you. He knew your character. He appealed to you on your character. And you knew him. So much so that you said, I've got to tell my friend. Father, I pray that they would learn to spend time with you. And Lord, teach them pleading prayer, pleading prayer, where they would spend much time with you, pleading before you. Thank you, Lord, that you never leave prematurely. You will always be there. Father, thank you for Jesus, who has made the way for us to be able to speak to you like this, for us to be able to have fellowship with you. Oh, Lord Jesus, it is all because of you. If there be any goodness, it is because of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus Christ. Blessed be his sweet name. Lord, I pray for the believers here. Draw them closer. And for the unbelievers here. Lord, I pray that they would say this day, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Forgive me and spare me from the wrath to come. Forgive me. Come into my life. And indeed, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Blessed be your name. I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.